The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Kay Holland and joining me today are two freelance women's football writers. It's a big welcome back to Laura Howard. And making her women's football podcast debut is The Guardian and 90 Minutes contributor, Emily Keogh. Let's have a recap of all the action from last week. Midweek saw the second leg of the Champions League take place. Manchester United held a 1-1 draw going to the Parc du Prince Stadium. And Mark Skinner was confident his side could go to Paris and get the job done. However, United ended up being beaten 3-1 by Paris Saint-Germain in the second leg in France to lose the qualifying tie 4-2 on aggregate to the two-time Champions League finalists, despite having more attempts at goal. Laura, what do you think? Leah Goulton looked to have a perfectly good goal ruled out. Do you think this would have made a difference? I think you, you, you can always see that those things can go a different way. They change the momentum of a match and... If, if that had stood, who knows what could have happened. Obviously, on the day, PSG still came out and won. So I think it's pretty hard to claim from a United perspective that had that gone the other way, they would definitely have won because in the end they didn't and they didn't have the quality to see that through. But obviously those things do affect momentum for sure. Good point, good point. Emily, Mark Skinner bemoaned his side's lack of quality. But this experience, it will stand them in good stead, surely. Yeah, I think... I always look at the Champions League like it's almost like a rite of passage that you you kind of go through the first few stages and you don't get a lot of stuff. You build up coefficient. It happened to Chelsea. Arsenal was slight the anomaly because of the change in structure, but kind of not having the best performances on your first run is it's it's forgivable because it's your first time competing against these sides in this competition. And friendlies are very different to a Champions League game that has a lot at stake. So I think it's forgivable, but I thought they had a really good performance. I think both legs, the second half, you saw a change in momentum. You saw them really pick up and you saw a bit of fight in them. But, it, you know, it's how the cookie crumbles in these sorts of things. But some some positives there. Yeah. Well, both uh, Mark Skinner and Gareth Taylor have questioned the way the qualifying rounds are set out. Uh, this season, it's only Chelsea from the WSL who will be in the Champions League. Uh, what, what do you both think? Is the WSL bigged up too much? Should they be given more leeway for qualifying? Uh, any thoughts on this? I think there's a lot of caveats to this season. I think the World Cup plays a big part. And I know we've talked about it, you know, to a blue in the face, but it is, you know, Arsenal playing so close to the end of the World Cup. That, that was all, whatever team that had a lot of players sent to the World Cup that were in the, the last two games were going to be affected by that. So, there's a lot of caveats this season. I do think, and Jonas Adavel said it in press last week, that the English teams haven't been good enough. You know, Man, United, uh, Man City haven't been able to get past qualifiers. Arsenal, you know, two seasons ago, the runs weren't great either during the competition. So, yeah, I think in a way that maybe WSL teams, because the competition in the WSL is getting so high, that they're slightly lagging in, in the Champions League. But that's what you want in a European tournament. You want the quality to be good. So if they're not good enough, then... You know, you don't want the lackluster teams going through if they're only, you know, not going to get good results. So I think it's a 50-50 how you look at it. Absolutely. Um, Laura, anything to add on that? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because obviously there has been discussion around this and there is quite a few places that go to champion spots, which when you put it on a comparison to the Men's Champions League, which is where a lot of people get a kind of standard or an assumption of how things should be, that's obviously very different and the Premier League are getting like five spots. But I think it's quite good in women's football at the moment to potentially have that because you're bringing in nations that don't necessarily have a footballing history and you're bringing up their teams. I think you've seen that with um, like Benfica in Portugal. They've clearly improved loads. Um, so I think there is a balance to be struck. I imagine the structure will change when it when it comes back up for review. But at the moment, I don't think that's necessarily um, a bad thing. And I, I completely agree with Emily that, you know, that the English teams just haven't been good enough. And I think the way in which Mark Skinner potentially spoke about that was a bit uh, presumptuous uh, over how he his comments kind of saying that United deserve to be there. I mean, especially being from United, like they've never qualified for the Champions League before. So talking about being deserving is, is maybe a bit too far at this stage. 
Fighting talk. Uh, elsewhere in the Women's Champion League qualifying second round, Glasgow City were beaten 2-0 in Norway by Bran. And that meant a 6-0 loss on aggregate overall, having lost the first leg 4-0. Bran are managed by Skinner's former assistant, Martin Peter Ho. And meanwhile, this is the big shock, last season's Women's Champions League runners-up, Wolfsburg, they um, suffered a shock loss in the second round as Paris FC reached the group stage for the first time. So the first leg had ended 3 all, and surely you would have expected the Germans to get the job done on home soil. Um, I don't think anyone saw that defeat coming, did they? No, I don't think. I mean, Paris FC have been around for a while. They've been in the yeah. competition for a while, but similar to kind of United, they never really got past qualifiers. They never really gained coefficient or gained momentum. But I think it's similar to what Emma Hayes was saying that you build, and this, like, obviously, they've worked to get to a point where they've beaten Arsenal, they've beaten Wolfsburg. Like, they deserve to have got the good results. I think Wolfsburg are not the team that they were last season. I think Pauline Bremer going to Brighton, Gerard leaving, they've, they've had quite a lot of big names leave and I think that's massively dented them and I don't think they look like a cohesive side that we're used to seeing from them but right. there, were, there were glimpses at the end of last season Champions League when Arsenal drew them 2-2 came back you know after having a really good lead I think we're seeing a pattern with Wolfsburg where they cannot hold on to the leads that they're getting and it's a little bit worrying for a team that have been so formidable mm-hmm. are they slightly losing grip on as everyone else regains around them are they losing grip on what they once had so when you explain it like that Emily not the surprise perhaps that we we all thought yeah Laura over to you anything to add on that yeah I think um I agree with Emily I do think it's still a surprise you know they do have a lot of quality and on paper they should definitely have been winning that much um I think I'm I'm an Arsenal fan so I wasn't too unhappy to see it it made me feel a little (laughs) bit better that Arsenal and Wolfsburg had lost um, but it's quite interesting, you know, you've got a semi-final there already out of the competition. And I think it's just really exciting that we're going to see this new entity. And, uh, and let's hope they can they can challenge in the group stage and throw up some more interesting results. Good point. Thank you. Um, the group stage draw was made last Friday. So the current champions, Barcelona, they're in Group A, along with Benfica, Eintracht Frankfurt and Swedish side Rosengard. Uh, what do we think? Is that an easy group for Barca? I think on paper, it initially looks like one of those easier groups potentially. But I think, you know, Benfica are a really good side and they're they're only growing into the competition as we've spoken about with other teams. You kind of build up this momentum and I think Benfica could be one to watch this this year. I think Barcelona should obviously progress from that group, but it's not as easy as it potentially looks on paper. I think there will be some difficult games in there for them. Great. Thanks, thanks, Laura. Emily, what did you share Laura's stance on that? Yeah, I think I always say that there's no easy game in Champions League. Like, you mix that in terms of competing in your leagues as well. Like, it's a lot. Every manager who's ever had experience in Champions League will say that it's the hardest thing to do, manage league with that and travel and whatnot. So I think, as Laura said, Barcelona should be winning that comfortably. But I do think we're in for some really interesting games. I'm excited to see Frankfurt um there are I've, I've watched them at a couple of Bundesliga games and they really have gelled as a team and they look really impressive so I'd be interested to watch that game um and see how those how those play against each other but I do think as Laura said Barcelona really should be winning that that group comfortably um but you never know you don't know yeah never know uh, representing the WSL is Chelsea so they're in group D together with Paris FC Real Madrid and Hacken Thoughts on this group? Should it be a comfortable, is it a comfortable group for Chelsea? I don't think necessarily comfortable. I think um, Real Madrid have obviously acquired like Hayley Racer. They were without Caroline Weir really sadly because of her ACL. So I think that's probably um, a plus for Chelsea, but they're they're always going to provide a competition and they're definitely an up and coming side. And then you've got Paris FC in there. Who knows what they can pull off? We've seen them pull off a couple of upsets already and I'd love to see them do the same against Chelsea so again another really interesting one that Chelsea again on paper should progress from but I think um I, I'm, I'm really excited I'm really excited to see Chelsea versus Real Madrid okay thanks ladies on to the weekend's action starting on Saturday so Chloe Kelly's 10th minute strike sent Manchester City to the top of the Women's Super League and ended Leicester City's unbeaten start to the season at the King Power Stadium 
it wasn't the best performance from Man City, but they're still looking good for this season, aren't they, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. They've they've really impressed so far, I think. And they've been one of those teams that potentially coming into the season as well, they've looked quite promising in the sense that they've got a very stable squad, which I think can really help sometimes. And you've got that one addition of Broad, which she's looked incredible this season, um, a really, really strong addition for that side. And um, they've looked the most comfortable, I'd say, of what you'd you'd name as the top four. They've not got that added pressure or the kind of disappointment to overcome of Champions League because they, they obviously lost that at the end of last season. And I think they've had a really probably solid pre-season and come in knowing exactly what their aim is. And they've gone the right way about getting that in terms of aiming for the title. And I think out of the teams at the moment, they look the most convincing. Emily, it was a narrow defeat for Leicester. Do you, do you think the Foxes will feel they should have got something from this game? Absolutely. I think their finishing is what what really uh, ruined it for them because there were so many opportunities that it really it could have been a massive scoreline for both sides. Um, it was actually a really good game of football. And despite you know, it being 1-0, watching the football, it was a really good game to watch because it was so back and forth. You saw what each team were trying to do and it, it, it was just good football. I think they will be disappointed, but I think holding... You know, bear in mind they battled relegation last season and they went, I think, about seven or eight games this time last year without winning. And they're holding it, you know, they drew against Man United, they've won nil against City. They're, they're fine margins that for a team that are rebuilding, it's massive results for them. And yes, they'll be disappointed, but I think there's so many positives to take from that game for them that I think Willie Kirk, what he's doing with this side now, they'll only learn from this. And I'd be really interested to watch um, the reverse game later in the year and just see how they play out once they've learned from uh, get a little bit of momentum at them before Christmas. Good point. And on the back of this game, we have to mention Man City's 19-year-old goalkeeper, Kiera Keating, who has received her first senior England call-up. So she'll be in the Lionesses squad when they take on Belgium next week. Her progression has been rapid, hasn't it? Yeah, I think when you look at a young player and the maturity, because she kind of came in really, she came off the bench last season um, when Eddie Raybuck got the red card in the Manchester derby. And you could expect the 18-year-old to completely wither and get really anxious and just not not be able to hold up. But she did so well. And it was really impressive from her. And, and to then take that work over the summer and kind of claim that that starting spot, it's incredible for such yeah. a, a young the age. The occasions just don't overwhelm her at all. These sort of no. big, yeah, big centre stage. Uh, the Chelsea-Man City game was, in, was such an impressive a game from her like to be able to hold off against so many strikes that were coming from you know top class Chelsea players it's it's brilliant so I'm excited to see what she'll do being in around that England training setup because that will grow you, you as a person just in the week being in that environment so I'm excited to see what we can get from her from this experience. Thanks Emily. So the other game on Saturday saw Tottenham condemn Aston Villa to four league defeats out of four this season. England forward Rachel Daly netted a fifth-minute penalty to put Villa, the hosts, ahead. But a Martha Thomas hat-trick and an Ash Neville goal put Spurs 4-1 up before Lucy Parker pulled one back for Villa late on in the game. Emily, I believe you were at this match, so over to you. Yeah, um, it was really interesting kind of going into it because it was a must-win for Villa, really. And on paper, you'd expect... Uh, you know, look at last season, you'd expect Villa to do really well, but we've seen how how well uh, Tottenham have started this season and it was a complete overload. You would have thought getting that early penalty would have really kicked Villa into gear, but it just never seemed to work. There were moments that looked really bright from, from the hosts, but it just not, didn't work. Um, I thought... Becky Spence had a pretty good game, to be fair, in goal. There were quite a few shots that she tipped over that, that realistically could have been 3-4-0 up at that point. But yeah, Thomas took advantage of, of a mistake from, from Rachel Corsi and, and netted that. And it, it was a really, really nice strike from about 25 yards out. And it was right in front of where we were sat at the press box. So it was absolutely lovely. And yeah, it just it was just domination from there, really. Um, and it was nice to see this the Tottenham side clicking and really working well. We've seen it steadily so far, but it, they just look like they were having so much fun on the pitch. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, just seeing footballers enjoying playing football, it's really nice to see. And you can just see what Robert Villaham is doing, giving the players a personality and a culture to really go out there and play the football how they want to play it. Um, and yeah, it was disappointing from Villa, but I think you've got to mention the caveats of not having Hansen and, and Dali in there. 
Um, I think mm. we're seeing how much they rest on those two players. And Carla Ward said it herself that how important those players are to getting the ball forward. You could see Rachel Daly was dropping back so much that when they were pressing forward, no one was there because they're so used to having Hanson or Dali being able to move forward that they don't know what to do without that. Um, and I think it, we can only really measure Villa's progression once we see those two back, which hopefully will be after the international break. Um, and going into Christmas, I think that's when we might see a little bit of the Villa from old. But I do think that now four from four losses, it's going to be a really tough road to regain any sort of fight going back into the rest of the season. Absolutely. And they're only being kept off the bottom by Bristol City. Um, I guess, Emily, you've explained why you think that is. Did you have anything to add, Laura? To, you know, Because at the beginning of the season, they were many people's tips to be the dark horses this season. Yeah, I think what Emily touched on in terms of losing Darley and Hansen is is a really big factor in in Villa's success, perhaps. But equally, I think that's really worrying that you lose two players and suddenly you're bottom of the league. So yeah. I think questions do need to be asked potentially about what's going on because arguably they they recruited really well and I think that's what tipped many people tipped them for for doing even even better or pushing on this year because they seem to have like a really good summer of recruitment on top of what was already looking like a really impressive squad so certainly needs to be some questions asked as to where this is going wrong and especially given they've managed to take the lead in three games this season which they've then not been able to go on and win and that as a mentality thing is is really troubling in some ways for Villa fans but Martha Thomas like got to give her her flowers as well what what a signing she's proving to be absolutely Uh, Well, Carla Ward has come out and said she's unsure if she's got the backing of the board at Aston Villa after this 4-2 defeat I mean, do you think she is under pressure already or has she got credit in the bank? What do you, what do you think? think? Uh, I, I was in the post-match huddle with her when that question was oh. asked. You could tell that her body language, you know, she wasn't comfortable. However, I think if you look at what she did with Villa last season, you don't then give that manager time. And I think we saw it, you know, the turnover of managers, it, it's not like the men's game where, you know, they lose three, four games and, you got a manager out. That doesn't happen. You know, Rianne Skinner lost nine last season before before she was outed at, at Tottenham. So I think you've got to give her time. I think you have to allow this to ride out because it's not like they didn't have a bad performance against Arsenal or a bad performance against Man United. Against Spurs, it was a dismal performance, but they've had good performances that haven't resulted well. And I think you have to look at it a little bit of a broader perspective going, okay, it's still, you know, you've still got all these caveats going on. I think if, if if Villa were to let her go now, it would be a massive mistake. I think really similar to when Everton let Willie Kirk go and how mm. silly of a dismissal that was. I think you've got to give it time. I think Christmas is when you start. If they haven't picked up by Christmas, when the games are, e- are arguably easier because they've had Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, Spurs, they're not easy games if you look at what should that's, be considered as sustainable. Um, I think their their run of form now needs to improve when they're playing against Leicester, Bristol. Obviously, you know, there's no such thing as an easy game in the WSL, but these are games that arguably they should be being able to get something from. And I think then if they're not, is when you start asking questions of the manager. But I do think, and I'm a big advocate for, the manager can only do so much if on the pitch the equation's not working and, and it's just not, they can't figure it out. There's only so much Carla can do in that sense. So I think give it time. I think at Christmas, if nothing's picked up, then we start questioning whether she should still have her job. But for now, I don't think you make such a rash decision. So see out 2023, take stock, review at Christmas. Yeah. And is that your thoughts too, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. You have to give give time to a manager who's done so much for the club in, in terms of raising their profile. And I don't think her recruitment's necessarily been bad. So there's been positives to her performance. I think it will just be, I think what's, what's happened is in those United and Arsenal games, they've kind of sat back once they've got that lead and actually invited pressure. And when you invite pressure from teams like United and Arsenal, um, that's, that's never going to spell kind of yeah. a, a good thing. So I think maybe going forward, there does need to be tactical reconsideration of do we actually keep pressing? I think if you if you kept attacking against that Arsenal side, like I think they could have got got another one and and gone further ahead. So maybe there does need to be a bit of tactical reconsideration on her part. But I think you stick with her for now, absolutely. And as for Spurs, we've touched on Martha Thomas, but don't forget as well, Beth England is still on the sidelines after having an operation on her hip. 
So when she's back and fit and playing, I mean, who knows where Spurs can go this season? It, it really feels like it's finally clicking for them. Yeah, I think it's, they're looking scarily good. Um, and, and I think it will be that, can they balance the, getting Thomas and England in their side when, when England is back? And how will they juggle that? And I'm sure... You know, it's clicking really well at the moment and Thomas is is leading that line so well and has done so well coming in as a new signing. I think it would just be really interesting to see, can they fit them both in the team? How will that dynamic work? And if they can get them both ticking, then they're looking really, really dangerous. Good, a good problem for Spurs to have. Uh, on to Sunday's game. So Manchester United returned to winning ways and maintained their unbeaten start to the campaign with a comfortable 5-0 win away at Everton. Summer signing Melvin Mallard set the Reds on course for victory early on as she nodded past Courtney Brosnan to collect her second league goal of the season. But United added another four in the second half to take the way game away from Everton with doubles from Nikita Paris and Rachel Williams. Laura, that was the perfect response from United, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think that should get them back on track, back on confidence. And I think it's it's exactly what they will have needed after after the the big, being knocked out of the Champions League. Um, I think it's a really impressive and clinical scoreline because I, I think they they Everton weren't necessarily quite as bad as that scoreline suggests. I don't think mm. they had the worst of games. But clearly to lose 5-0, that is still quite damning for them. Um, and yeah, United just put in a really good performance. They were missing some key players in Geyser and and a few others through um, illness, I think it was, that Mark Skinner mentioned. And I think it's just a really, really good performance to get them back on winning ways, get some goals up, get their goal difference up, which obviously is probably going to matter come the end of the season, um, and and to get them back on track for sure. I wanted to touch a little on Rachel Williams. So she's used as a substitute a lot for the Reds. Um, but she's really such a vital component for that side, isn't she? What, what do you think, Emily? Yeah, I think she's one that has flown under the radar a lot. I think she's such a clinical striker, but I do think she is the perfect super sub. She's exactly what you want in a formula. Right. Look, If you took the formula for a player that you want coming off the bench to make a, an impact, she's she's it. Um, I do think I'd love to see have more minutes. I'd love to see her have more time on the pitch because I think just watching her play football is really good. But I think one thing that I, I noticed about United is when she's coming in for, you know, those last, last ditch minutes and obviously really effective. She doesn't have time to build these partnerships or build something that actually could work, you know, coming in 60 minutes and taking you three, four nil up rather than just getting that one goal you need. And I would... It's sort of the thing that if I could sit down with the manager and be like, here's what I think, and to see <laughs> what they say, because it's always interesting from a, an outside perspective. But I think giving her more time on the ball and on the pitch, I think would be really interesting to see whether she could take United up a little bit to kind of really hold it to, to clubs like Arsenal and Chelsea. Because we saw them have the lead, they lost it. Mm. She didn't have much in that game but you know if you brought in a little bit earlier could they have gone 3-1 could they have really took it to Arsenal to, and, and got got a little bit more out of that game um, but yeah I think she's just a perfect super sub and I think you know as long as you can progress her career I'd love to keep her on the pitch as long as possible Good point um, well as for Everton they've been brought back down to earth with a bang after that Merseyside derby win where, where do we think Everton are at the moment? Laura? Yeah, I think they're they're a really interesting club to kind of to analyse. They obviously got that good win against the Liverpool side that's that have looked really strong so far in the in the WSL. Um, but I think I think they need to do more. I think losing five nil to Manchester United is not the result they want, and not the result for that that team. Um, they want to be pushing on, but I don't think they've necessarily had the best summer in terms of recruitment. I don't think they've necessarily bolstered their side as well as they could have done. And I think I don't I think they'll be aiming for a round mid table and maybe a bit of consolidation come the end of the season. I, I can see them being towards the bottom end, but I think they'll be fine from relegation. I think that yeah, they're just an interesting side that you, you see the big teams and they're probably looking to get a good win against Everton now, given that performance from United and they don't seem to really perform in those big games. But they'll mm. they'll be there and they'll challenge in mid-table for sure. Thanks, Laura. 
Elsewhere, Chelsea came from behind to beat Brighton and Hove Albion 4-2 at Kings Meadow and draw level on points with women's Super League leaders Manchester City. Summer signing Sayoke Nuskin scored twice for the Blues in that win. Laura, you were at that match, I think. So what did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a really good game. You know, turn up to any game and get six goals, you're, you're pretty happy. Um, I think it was an interesting one because Chelsea certainly dominated the the match and the, the whole of proceedings, really. It kind of, they went 1-0 down, of course, but it was almost a when are they going to score rather than a are they going to score. Um, right. There was so many opportunities for them, so many. I think they hit the bar. There was so many, like, goal line clearances. It was just like the goal was definitely coming. But I think what's potentially interesting is that I'd say the Chelsea of last season would have won that 4-0. Um, and I think you're seeing both the kind of improvement of Brighton and sides like Brighton in an ability to compete and to to put bring the game to Chelsea. But also I think Chelsea have Chelsea win. And I think that's almost inevitable. They know how to get through these games even when they don't put in the best performances. But I do think you've seen Chelsea slightly off their usual pace at the start of the season. It it does feel like they haven't hit their stride just yet. But yet they're still second on goal difference. So, yeah. yeah. And their depth is so, so clear to see. You've got Wrighton and Cuthbert missing from that side. You bring Kerr and Kirby off and they still go and score one, two more goals. They've got this new signing, Nuskin. And I just think they've they've got such an experienced and well-built squad with so much depth to it they're going to be a really tough proposition yet again. You mentioned Sam Kerr there. She wasn't on the score sheet, but must be worrying then for other sides that Chelsea are getting these goals from other sources. Yeah, potentially. I think she she got an assist or maybe, maybe two, definitely got a one. So she was definitely in and amongst the kind of goal scoring areas and was setting other people up. But for sure, like Chelsea just have quality all over the pitch now and Emma Hayes has built a really strong side. Mm. Well, it's been a bit of a slow start for Brighton, but can they take any positives for them from their performance on Sunday? Yeah, I thought they looked they looked bright in attack when they did get forward and, and scoring two goals against Chelsea is certainly something to, to take away as a positive. I thought uh, Sari looked really bright when she came on. She won the ball in some good positions high up the pitch and um, helped in, in the goal, that the second goal that they scored. And the same with Katie Robinson. Um, she, she looked really promising and bright on that way. So I think there were definitely positives and there were spells of the game where they were definitely in it and definitely had chances. So for sure, I think Brighton did look, did look good. So, yeah, can hold the head up high after that game, despite the defeat. Um, and finally, on Sunday, West Ham drew 1-1 with Liverpool thanks to an injury-time equaliser from Japanese international Riko Yuki. Uh, so that snatched a point for the Hammers in the Women's Super League. Uh, Emily, it's been a solid start for both of these sides this season, hasn't it? Yeah, I think going into the season, I was really worried about West Ham. I had tipped West Ham to be quite down the bottom. Um, and I've been really impressed with them so far. Um I think Rianne Skin obviously knows football and she's been around for a long time. She knows she knows how to set a team. Um, didn't have a lot of time before during the summer. But I think what she's been able to do with the youngsters in the team has been really, really positive. Obviously, they're missing Dagny, um, which is a big miss for them. And I think you can see that when they're pressing forward, you kind of see where she floats in and out and around defences and you can see how they miss her. But I think, you know, they've got Emma Harris is a big, was a big signing for them as much as it seems like a low profile one. She's so good on the ball. Um, and yeah, I think they've they've actually done quite well to maintain stuff. I would love to see them press on a little bit and really, you know, try and clench the, the equalisers and the winning goals before, you know, stoppage time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been good for them. And I think Liverpool have had a really, really bright start. I think Matt Beard said after the Arsenal game that, they learned over the summer on how to score goals and how to stop conceding goals. And I think Rachel Laws has been incredible so far. I think she is, mm. you've got to, got to tip your hat to her about how she's been between the sticks. Um, and yeah, I think both sides are, are really exciting. I think I'm enjoying the fact that this season's, you know, it doesn't, you don't know where points are going to fall. And that's really exciting that you can't look at the table and go, well, they'll drop points there because you don't so, actually know they will. So unpredictable and, and that makes it exciting, right? Yeah, yeah. So the late game on Sunday was at Ashton Gate, where Bristol City hosted Arsenal. Katie McCabe struck twice as Arsenal beat Bristol City, and that was their first away win of the new season. But Arsenal, I don't know, they seem to be doing it 
the hard way in the last couple of games. Um, any thoughts on that? I think it's quite worrying, actually, as to how many shots they're having and their conversion rate being so low. I think it's with a side that is so stacked as they are, it's it's quite, you know, it's quite scary to think that kind of McCabe had to both times kind of step in. I mean, both beautiful girls, <laughs> you know, she does score bangers. Yes. Um, I think it's quite worrying that a team that was, you know, really, that should be vying for the title now without Champions League are struggling as much as they are in front of goal. Um, I thought Liv Clark had a really good performance. Obviously, she's been in the championship this season. Um, obviously, it's, it's Bristol's third choice goal. And I thought uh, goalie, I thought she was absolutely brilliant. Uh, there's a couple of really big saves. And I think defensively, Bristol were good. But I do think it's a massive worry for Arsenal that they are not where they should be. Um, and it, it, they should have won that game 4-5-0, really. Right. So they're going to need Katie McCabe to stay stay fit and in good form then, really. I think her, I think Caitlin Ford, and obviously you've got Mead Amara and Mead back on the pitch, which is really exciting to see. I think those have been a long time coming and, you know, it's brilliant to have them back. But I do worry that something really isn't clicking up front for them and you're running out of time, you know, four games into the season. With the 22-game season, you really don't have a lot of time to dwell on that. We saw with the City last season how a slow start really affected them and they couldn't pick it back up. And I think they've dropped a, f- a few points now already that if they don't start getting wins by good margins they're just going to fall behind and they won't have time to pick it back up again but it's positive I think there's positives from both sides in that game but yeah it's a bit worrying that they're struggling as much as they are. For Bristol City though despite the defeat it was a much better performance from them didn't you think? Yeah I think there's so many positives in that game I think uh, you saw them really try and take their chances which we kind of didn't see a lot before they kind of just almost succumbed to the fact that City had dominated them so much and they held off better in in the second half but yeah in the Arsenal game you could just see there was a little bit more fight they were a little bit more composed I think the problem they obviously dropping back into such a defensive block then they struggled to get bodies forward which I think if they'd slightly been more comfortable to to get their wing backs pressing high to kind of go a little bit forward you would have had a little bit more movement from them but yeah it's positive for them and I think You've got to give credit to the defensive line that kept out some some screaming goals that, you know, were just on target and they would have been absolutely brilliant. But yeah, big blocks from, from Napier and, and from Clark. So yeah, positives on both sides. Thanks, Emily. Before we move on to the championship, I wanted to touch on some comments that Crystal Palace owner Steve Parrish made in the week. So Parrish has called for tougher salary control in the women's game. Um, he sort of pointed out the top tiers of women's football in England should have stronger financial controls to halt the growing disparity between the big clubs and the smaller ones. Um, what, what do you both make of his comments? I mean, I there is a big gap between championship bottom WSL and then top WSL. There's a massive gap. There's a massive disparity. Um, but I don't think capping the top of the WSL does anything really for the championship. I think you've the investment's got to start from the commercial deals and from hopefully in in the new co with the FA when when that comes in next season um, with them taking over that more money and more funding goes into championship because I think you've got to get that gap closed. I think you see it from Bristol City how big the jump is and I I, I understand what he's saying but I don't think realistically capping. The, the spending and whatnot of Arsenal is going to have anything to do with Crystal Palace in the long run because mm. that they need to bridge that gap, get into WSL, then bridge from the bottom to the top of the WSL, which is a massive jump. So I think it's got to start bottom down. And I don't think capping the top sides does enough to really help the championship yet. I think there are other strategies to impose first that would have better effect, effectiveness in the short term. Makes sense. Laura, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I think there's there's the other aspect of this, which is that a lot of women's teams, for better or for worse, are currently paired with a men's side. And that's a financial structure. Obviously, a lot of these women's sides, which is a good thing, are trying to set up independently of their financial structure. But there has to be an initial investment that usually comes from that men's side. And so punishing teams like, are not punishing, but kind of setting these restrictions on teams like Arsenal or Chelsea, who... Yes, they probably have better financial resources overall, but they also have taken that step to invest heavily in their women's sides. Isn't necessarily what you want to be setting as a precedent for for the rest of clubs to say, 
you know, don't make this invest investments. You want men's clubs to be encouraged to make investments into the women's team. And obviously there is there is a debate on that as well as to whether these clubs should be self-funded, etc. And I think that's that's something further down the line. But right now, I think we should be encouraging men's teams to add and further investment rather than saying we're going to cap, we're going to cap if you are successful or you do invest more. On to the championship and Parish's Crystal Palace lost an entertaining South London derby at Charlton Athletic. It ended Charlton 3, Palace 2. It was an entertaining first half with four goals and four different scorers. Elsewhere, Southampton were top going into the weekend, but they surprisingly lost 1-0 to the London City Lionesses on Sunday. The only goal came from Lois Joel. That meant Sunderland went top with a 2-0 win at Lewis. And it was two first half goals from Jenna Deer and Brianna Westrup will have the Black Cat smiling. Elsewhere, Birmingham continue their climb up the table to six. After a poor start to the season, they beat Watford 5-2 with Ivana Fuso, Lily Ag, Charlie Devlin, Libby Smith and Ellie Mason all finding the net. Newly promoted Watford remains second bottom. Sheffield United won 3-1 away at Reading, while two goals from Sosha Noonan saw Durham beat Blackburn 2-1. So that was the results from the championship at the weekend. Uh, Emily, any thoughts on any of those results? Anything stand out for you? Yeah, I think Southampton dropping points to London City is quite a big one. I think they've been really impressive this season. They were really impressive last season. Um, and you can see them, what they're building. Um, I've been down to Southampton a couple of times over the past kind of eight months. And, and what they're doing is brilliant. I'm, I'm really impressed with them. Um, so, yeah, them dropping points is a little bit surprising. But I think it's a little bit similar with uh, the, with the double sale of this season that everything, you know, you can't really count anything as an easy game anymore. And I think that's really exciting. But I think Sunderland topping the table is quite big. I think they've also steadily been really impressive and they've got a long history. So I think if they can maintain some of the form that they've had, it'll be really exciting to, to kind of come towards the end of the season. And I do think it will be an interesting race between those two. Um, I think you've got other names in there that will take their hat. But yeah, I think that's the exciting one. Um, is to, would be Southampton Sunderland. I think that those two kind of going head to head at the top is quite exciting. And looking to the other end of the table, um, so my team, newly promoted Watford, have they got a bit of a battle in store this season? I think so. I think making the jump is always difficult. Um, but, it, you know, they've had, they've brought in really well. I think they've gotten quite, quite a good few new, few new signings that have been quite impressive. And I think they're building. I think it takes time. Um, but I think if they can pick up a couple of points against some of the top teams and just really stick it to them, keep pressing, will be really interesting to see how they do. Um, but obviously going against clubs around them like London City, that would be a really interesting one to see if they can get something out of that and just kind of gradually would go up um, but I was chatting to Helen Ward at the end of last season um, who was talking about how it's a progression thing they're not expecting to go from one to the other and jump straight up the table right. so I think it's taking the positives in the games and kind of growing each week and I think we're seeing that from them as each week they're they are showing a little bit more so I think it's that progression that, that if they continue on it will be a really good trajectory for them. Fantastic. Thank you. On to the National League now and ahead of the big top of the table clash in the south between Rugby Borough and Portsmouth, I caught up with rugby's captain, Ebony Wiseman. Uh, I think we've done very well. Um, I think we had quite expectations of how well we wanted to start from our coaches and our, uh, the staff that obviously run rugby. So I think the start that we've had has been really positive. Obviously, taking two losses, but I think when you look at those those losses have been down to when we've been either with 10 players or nine players, which was really unfortunate for us in both those games. But losses happen. I think it's just how we continue to go forward and keep taking momentum into the league. And hopefully this weekend we just carry on and get another three points. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Ebony, you're one of the few players who've stayed with the merged club. Was yeah. it an easy decision for you? Yeah, I think so. I I'm very much feel at home here. I think uh, I made the move down from uh, where I'm from up to Coventry last year, and I feel like I'm very much settled here. I love the girls that were that stayed here as well. So I think it was an easy option for me. I feel like the coaches value what I bring on and off the field. So I think that was quite an easy decision to stay here, and I'm more than happy to be part of this whole experience with them and try and get them back up to the championship after last year 
Okay, so you mentioned there that it was it was a pretty straightforward decision to stay, but has the transition been smooth? Has there been any sort of bumps in the road or it was quite a smooth transition from Coventry United to Rugby Borough? Yeah, I think it it, it it was as smooth as it could be. I think it was obviously a lot of different playing parts that made the decision of us moving over to rugby. But I think in the future, like the longevity of the club, it was the best move for us to come to rugby. Like the facilities that we're at now are a lot better than we had at Coventry. Um, I think as well as there's a lot more growth that the younger girls can come up to with um, rugby, there's obviously a development side as well. So they're always looking to try and get into the first team of us. So I just think it made sense for the club to do that. And so far, I think it's it's working very well with rugby. And you've kept the same head coach as well, which is probably as a positive. Yeah, yeah, we got, we've got pretty much all the same staff as we did have when we made the change to come to rugby, yeah. Um, talking about change, so there's been a change of colour and a change of badge. How how's this being received by the local community? Have they have they supported you? Yeah, I think so. I think it's with that's still a working process. Obviously, we're still quite new, so we're still putting our name and brand out there. We have uh, a few individuals that work within the community, whether that means um, going into schools, and we're trying to find more schools that we can go into to do like player appearances. We get quite a lot of uh, the young girls come over to watch us. We've had those walk out with us pretty much every game at home. So I think we're doing very well in getting the community on side. I think obviously there's still room for improvement there, but in the way that it's going, I think we're definitely getting the local community on board and hopefully it just continues to grow for us, but not only for us, sorry, but for obviously the younger girls and the boys that are involved with Rugby Borough. Yeah, fingers crossed. I guess the big goal is promotion back to the championship. Um, but who would you say that your biggest challenges are this season? Yeah, I think there's quite a few. I think when you look at the table, it's very close from the top to probably like the fifth team in there right now. So you're looking at teams like Hashtag Ipswich, Portsmouth. I think all of those are very strong competitors for us. Um we have a big one this weekend. So we just kind of take each game as it comes. Like we know what we want to do. We know how we want to play and what our identity is. So I think it's just focusing on us. And hopefully when it comes to playing those sort of big games that we're able to do what we need to do and come away with the win, really. Absolutely. What are your own personal goals then for the season, Ebony? Yeah, I just want to con- well uh, be consistent for us. I want to obviously help us win games. I want to contribute as much as I can. Um, obviously, being the captain, I kind of want to be a leader on and off the pitch for the girls because we do have quite a young group of girls in here. So I think it's just making sure that everyone's locked in, keeping everyone's confidence high and just obviously making sure that the team stays as a team. And I think so far we've done that even with the losses that we've had. So I think me, if I can get goals and assists, that's great. And then obviously, if that can lead to us getting three points and keep on winning, then hopefully that means us getting promotion back to the championship. Unfortunately for Wiseman and her teammates, it didn't go their way on Sunday as Portsmouth took all three points thanks to a goal from Bethany Lumsden. So this moves Pompey up to second while rugby dropped to fourth. Hashtag remained three points clear at the top after they beat Plymouth Argyle and Ipswich moved to third on goal difference following a 6-1 victory away in Kent at Chatham. Other results saw MK Dons win 2-0 at Cardiff and Cheltenham won 1-0 at Billericay. In the north, just four games took place. Second place Newcastle won 4-0 away at Huddersfield. Derby County also won 4-0 away at AFC Fylde. And the Black County Derby saw Wolves take the spoils 3-1 away at West Brom, which moves them level on points with Newcastle, but having played a game more. And Liverpool Feds and Stourbridge drew 1-1. Any thoughts, Laura, from these results? Um, Yeah, I think think maybe the the biggest talking point was the fact that games, you know, still have to be cancelled because of the weather in in that league. Um, I I live literally down the road from... uh, Grange Park, where Long Eaton 
Long East United Ground, which is where Forest Women play, sorry. And um, that was completely, it was more like a lake than a, than a, than a ground. So I think there's so many, there's so many things that you kind of, you wouldn't see maybe at that level in the men's game. We've still got this kind of, let's see where we can get the women's game. But yeah, I think, I think interesting results all around there, but I think maybe the main talking point is we've still got this problem with the weather and let's do something about climate change. Absolutely. Uh, Let's cross the Atlantic now and go over to America. So Ali Krieger's career will last one more game as Gotham FC uh, passed North Carolina Courage in the NWSL playoffs, uh, thanks to goals from Delani Sheehan and Yasmin Ryan. Emily, what a career she's had. She's never won a domestic title, um, I believe. So this would be a lovely way for her to sort of go out and close her career, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think you look at someone that's had such an impressive career and all you want for them is to go out on the biggest high possible. I think we saw it with the World Cup and how many players we knew were retiring that kind of didn't have the the end to that that they wanted. So I think it would be really nice and a really nice storyline for her to have such an impressive um, end, her, end such an impressive career and such a high. Um, so yeah, it'd be really nice to see that. I think they have a really good chance. They've been impressive this season. I've dipped in and out of the NWSL since coming back from the World Cup, and I'm in, I'm impressed. They've been they've been good. So it'd be really nice to to have that. Um, but it will be t- tough to get there because there are some really really impressive games going on. So if they can, it'd be great. But I think she is one of those players that will go down in history books for how much she's done, not only on pitch but for the game in general, growing the profile. Um, being so outspoken about issues um, she's one that I think up there with like Megan Rapinoe that will have such a long-lasting effect on women's football that I hope people will see that and will only want to to, to build on the back of what she's built um, because it has been an incredible career for her. And, and hopefully we can be talking about her career and performances on the pitch rather than you know in recent weeks it's been her divorce battle and news off the pitch that has been uh, taking precedence, hasn't it? So fingers crossed for that one. Um, it's International Week this week, and it's all sort of chaos and a bit of turmoil in the Jamaica national team. Um, the squad who competed in the World Cup, they're refusing to play in the upcoming Gold Cup qualifiers. Um, Spurs keeper Be- Becky Spencer, she's posted on her social media a statement from the Reggae Girls And it says, while this has been one of the hardest decisions we've had to make, we feel we've had to take this drastic stance to put an end to the current mistreatment by the Jamaican Football Federation. Um, The statement also went on to mention how the players have yet to receive bonuses for their performance in the World Cup. Um, It also sort of criticised a lack of communication, poor organisation, poor management. Um, (sighs) What can I say? It's, It's a right mess, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not the first time that we're hearing this out of, out of Jamaica. This has been a long, a long battle. Um, we had it before the World Cup where um, players and families were crowdfunding to try and get more resources because the Federation weren't providing them. Um, and even during the World Cup, I think I, I spoke to a few players after a few games at the World Cup, especially the France draw. And I spoke to Drew Spencer, Becky Spencer, and after these games, both of them were saying, you know, everything has been stacked against them and that they're still performing. And you could only imagine how much more formidable they would be if they had the backing that they should have. Um, And obviously they, since the World Cup, things haven't improved. And I think it's a massive shame because they are such an impressive side and they have such a rich history. Um, But I think we are only now seeing the tip of the iceberg and how federations are not treating women's football right and how it has become... Uh, this sort of behaviour and, and not allowing women's football to grow is has become slightly normalised in these sorts of um, systems. Um, I hope that there is a, a way forward for them, um, but it's a massive shame that they won't be comp- uh, competing this this international yeah. window. And my heart goes out to them because it's such a difficult decision to withdraw from from international duty. And I'm I'm believe there is no legal implications against it, um, but it will be. It'd be a really interesting one to see how they how they come back from this. And you would have thought after the success of the World Cup that we would only be seeing, you know, rises and federations wanting to do more. But it's been exactly. the opposite. Yeah, I do think at this point FIFA needs to do better. And you know, there was a whole plan to play players direct 
and because federations weren't happy about it that got retracted and I think at this point you have to start looking at the higher ups and going though those companies need to be putting in place protection for players and if it means playing directly to the players knowing that federations will bypass what they have to do to keep the money you've got to start doing that so I think you look at the whole spectrum and everyone needs to be held accountable at this and it comes from FIFA from the federations and downwards to protect players um Laura do you do you can you see any way out of this mess I think they're absolutely right to do what they have been doing. You know, they they need they need change. And after the performances at the World Cup, they absolutely deserve way more than even the bare minimum, which is what they're asking for. So absolutely need to do to do what they need to do to get to get that. And I just think it's a really sad state of affairs that they do need to miss out on playing football and can't just enjoy and focus on their careers. They're fighting political battles that really should already have been won. And, and I think it just shows that there is still quite a long way to go in women's football, but hopefully yeah. we are seeing more exposure to that and that those issues can start to be tackled. But a little mad that it's 2023 and we're still having to have these, these conversations. Sure. Um, on a more positive note, though, finally, the Lionesses take on Belgium um, in the Nations League. So how, how do you see that match going? I think it'd be a really interesting one because I think England haven't necessarily been at their best recently, especially like after the World Cup. I they got to the finals, so they obviously did really well at the World Cup, but I don't think even they were in full flow there. No, so they hadn't still... they hadn't really found their gear, had they? But, but yeah, we still absolutely. made the finals. So um I think we maybe saw glimpses of that against Australia, but I think we're still kind of looking at an England squad potentially slightly in transition. Um and I think it will be an interesting match because, again, on paper, that they should they should get the win against Belgium and they'd be expected to do so. And I think we, we probably will. But I think it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of click. And I'm I'm really excited. Obviously, Frank Kirby's back in the squad, which is excellent news for England fans. I think I'm really excited to see the likes of um, if Kiara Keating plays. Obviously, we've spoken about her. I think that'll be really exciting. And also Grace Clinton, um, who's played really well at, at Spurs. So I think these names are really excited to see in the squad. And I think, yeah, I mean, Beegman's an incredible manager. So I'm sure she's got she's got plans for the squad and it will just be seeing whether these these new faces click click in the squad and can add something. Well, that's it for this week. So a big thank you to our to you both, our guests, Emily and Laura. Don't forget that you can join our Fantasy Women's Super League by going to fantasywsl.net and using the code TWFP. Please subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms. And if you're on social, why not give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1. And we're also on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2.